book of Ephesians. We're going to turn to the book of John, chapter 13, because, number one, it illustrates the main calling of the text, and Jesus himself shows what it means and teaches important principles behind what we consider tonight, basically submission to one another. John 13, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him, therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen. But that the Scripture may be fulfilled, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that 
When it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. And we read that far in God's Word in that passage. And we consider tonight Ephesians 5, verse 21. I'm going to read the context beginning with verse 18. Ephesians 5, beginning with 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, seeking and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now our text, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The subject of this passage, beloved people of God, submission, is an important extension and implication of the teaching that we are the church of Jesus Christ. I say important, but I could use the word essential. It is essential to being a church of Jesus Christ. This is not a popular subject. It certainly is not a popular subject among the ungodly and the wicked. For man is naturally a rebel. Lifted up on high today is not mutual submission. Not submission to one's fellow citizen or member of one's nation but rather glorified is rebellion, rebellion against church and state, rebellion in every form and fashion, because man will not submit. That is why this is also a very unpopular topic in the church that has been overcome by the world and is filled with worldliness. In fact, we may say a good sign that a church has been overcome by the world is the extent to which it receives and practices the very calling of our text to submit to one another. There are churches that claim to practice this and claim to teach this, but if you examine the text and what's found here and what it's actually teaching, you will find that it is nothing more than the practices of the world and what it calls love and service, not biblical. Indeed, submission to one another, submission itself, is not only an important and significant implication of being a church of Jesus Christ, but it is essential to the growth and well-being of the church of Jesus Christ. We may say, that the Lord edifies and builds up His church in the way of submission. And where submission is not found, the church falls apart, is destroyed, is rent with schism and asunder. 
That's why you will find this calling, the calling of this text, to submit to one another in many, many forms. We're going to note some as we consider this passage, but consider only the passage that we read. Jesus Himself submitted to us, submitted not only to the will of His Father, but the idea of the text is that He submitted in a very real way and then demonstrated that by the washing of feet. This is the idea that's behind the oft-repeated command to love one another even as I have loved you, or to be quick to forgive one another. All of those many passages are basically all teaching this same principle, this same dogma, doctrine, truth that is so essential to the church. To be a church of Jesus Christ and to be a member of that church is to submit, not simply to Christ, but submitting to Christ to submit to one another. Consider that with me tonight, submitting to one another. The calling, what Jesus through the apostle is teaching here. Secondly, the manner, how we do that. And then finally, the motive for doing that. Begin this evening not by explaining what it means to submit. I could do that. But we begin tonight by examining the explanation for this command because it's a strange one. Often overlooked exactly because it is so strange. Now, not so strange are the practices of submission that follow Those make sense to us. That the Apostle will, immediately following this verse, call on wives to submit to their husbands. And right after that, he's going to call children to submit to their parents. And in following that, he's going to call employees to submit to their employers. And we say, of course. That one we understand. It simply follows from the fact that one has authority and power over another. That's what submission is. So we don't either understand what it means to submit to one another, or we don't understand what lies behind it. So we're going to begin there somewhat. And I simply point out to you that the text we have tonight is not a complete sentence. Even the young children here can see that. It begins with a word that ends in I-N-G. Submitting. Submitting. Something that's ongoing. It's not a command as such, like submit. And therefore, what we consider is not even a complete sentence And the way it begins, therefore, tells us that it's connected. It modifies something that was said earlier that was a complete sentence. It indicates that the apostle had said for us to do something, to live a certain way, and that this is part of that. So if we look back just a little bit and ask 
what this is modifying, what's it connected to, we see it's connected to the exhortation, the calling in verse 18, negatively, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but now, positively, be filled with the Spirit. That indicates that the cause, the reason, the explanation for the command, for the calling, that which underlies it and undergirds it is the truth that the church and its members are filled with the Spirit. That's what it's saying. In other words, when the Apostle says, be filled with the Spirit, submitting one to another, he's teaching, first of all, that being filled with the Spirit is basic and essential to submitting to one another. Think about that, and think about how it follows. Who is the Spirit? What is the Spirit? And the answer is, it's the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So, whatever Spirit of Jesus Christ that fills now the church, the church will have also that same Spirit. It will be governed and ruled by that same Spirit. It will have the same character as that Spirit. This is the Spirit that unites us as members to Jesus Christ by the bond of faith. This is the Spirit that we all receive as members of the body. And now look at that Spirit. If you look at that Spirit and examine that Spirit as the Spirit of Christ, you will see that an essential characteristic is that of submission. Submission as it's laid out here. Simply consider Jesus Christ himself. Look. Who is Jesus? How did he behave? How did he act? Now we know he is Lord and Master. That's why we must submit to him. But you will notice he is one who submitted himself to humiliation. He lowered himself to wash his disciples' feet. His mind was the mind that we read in Philippians 2, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was God, who possessed all the glory and honor and all the power and majesty of God, because he was God, and yet humbled himself even unto death, the death of the cross. The point is that if that spirit is the spirit that fills the church, then that's the spirit that moves and governs the church. Hence the command, submit to one another. That's the very first thing that's being taught here. In other words, if a church claims to be a church, it will be filled with the Spirit. There can be no church unless it's filled with the Spirit. And now if that church is filled with the Spirit, it will be a church that manifests itself by Submitting one to another, just like the other things. That's the idea of the other things too. 
If a church is filled with the Spirit, then that will be manifest in that the people and the church will be speaking to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. They will be a church that's singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. It will be a church that's giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be a church wherein the members are submitting one to another. In fact, we may say this is one of the greatest evidences that a church is a true church of Jesus Christ, that it is a Spirit-filled church. I mention that because many churches claim to be Spirit-filled. In fact, there's entire congregations and denominations that put that right in their name. We are Spirit-filled Spirit-run, Spirit-governed churches. And if you ask them, now, what's the evidence of that? They will point to all kinds of things. Well, here we speak tongues. We speak tongues that you don't understand. You will find Spirit healing here. There will be strange goings-on here. Other churches who rightly reject that knowing that those were temporary gifts, as the Apostle indicates in 1 Corinthians. However, we'll also point to perhaps all the work and labor that is done by the church and the congregation in the neighborhood and in the community. But what's being taught here, submission... And everything that follows will not be found. It's rather been replaced. It may have been replaced in the name of submission. It may be seemingly to be the idea of washing another's feet, but in fact it's not. This is something that is being highlighted tonight too. Because we're going to move on and consider precise callings to submit in spheres of authority. And the Apostle begins here calling for submission to each other where there is no apparent sphere of authority. Because you understand this is the calling of everyone. Does everyone hold an office? Is everyone a husband? or an elder, no. But right here is where we can learn a lot about submission, therefore. One, one thing we learn is that when the Bible comes along and tells a wife to submit, and the wife, being a daughter of Eve, and a sinner like you and me, including the husband, is inclined to shudder and say, submit? I don't know about that. You must realize that God's calling her to do something that she's already called to do with regard to everyone. And her husband, too. Another thing the Apostle is teaching here right at the beginning is that submission is impossible without the Spirit. It's not simply an evidence that a church is Spirit-filled. It's not simply flows out of and is an implication of being a spirit-filled church, but it's indicating that real 
biblical true submission is impossible apart from the Spirit. And you and I ought to know that. We were raised to submit to our parents as children. And we learned that in marriage, indeed, the Bible demands that a wife submit to her husband. And you quickly learn that's, well, impossible. You quickly learn that man who is not spirit-filled, man who is natural, man who is simply depraved, a son of Adam, is not going to submit to anyone. It doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how much authority they have. It doesn't really matter. Submission is not natural. It's not what we do. We may take a form of submission because we have to, or it's good for us, but what's being required here, where there's submission when there's no apparent reason for it, when there doesn't even seem to be any apparent benefit to it, indicates that submission is possible for the human mind and will unless that human mind and will and heart is filled with the Spirit. Submission is a simple word that simply means to put yourself under someone, to go below them. That's why the pictures of submission are to get on one knees and do obeisance, to lower one's head, all kinds of ways we signal submission. But it simply means to place oneself under another. Now that calling obviously has different aspects to it, related to it. It's to place oneself under another because you regard them as having a certain authority over you, of having a certain power over you, of having a certain right over you. That's basically what we're called to do here, which why it might be puzzling. Submission at its essence is an attitude. It's not, first of all, obedience. Those are two different things, two different concepts. Often, yes, as we're going to see, submission manifests itself in obedience. But again, by the apostle saying, submit to one another, he's indicating that submission stands on its own. It doesn't really include as such that I obey you. That would result in chaos in the church if we're all ordering each other around and we all have to listen to each other. Now he's getting at the heart of what submission is. It's an attitude. It's an attitude in the heart, and it's an attitude that's very simple. It simply recognizes that this person or this entity to which I submit has authority and honor over me from God. That's essentially all it is. 
It is simply an attitude in one's heart that this or that individual, this or that entity has real authority and honor over me that God gave them. That God gave them. So submission at bottom is really submission to God. Another reason why it ought to be characteristic of the church that's filled with the Spirit. The Spirit knows who God is. The Spirit knows the honor and authority that God is due. And the Spirit understands that when authority and honor and power is given to someone, they were given that by God. And submission simply recognizes that. And in doing that, then, submits to God. It's one of the chief ways we submit to God. There is, therefore, right at the outset, about submission to one another, this. That it involves that every single one of us sees in the other a certain honor, in a certain authority that God gave them. That God gave them and that I must bow before in my heart. That I must submit to. That I must do obeisance to. Submission, as I said, is an honoring of God. So that gives us a clue then, doesn't it? That in the church, submission is an attitude in the heart that at bottom is honoring God in them. Now you see the connection to being filled with the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? The Spirit of Jesus Christ. Who is that Spirit? The second person of the Holy Trinity. That Spirit is God. So that mutual submission, submission of you to me and me to you, recognizes that you are filled with the Spirit. So that when I submit to you, I'm submitting to God. Not that you're God, but the Spirit of God is in you. And this submission that the Apostle is calling us to says, I recognize that. I see that. I understand that. To the point that it governs all our behavior and attitude toward that other member of the church. And I remind you, submission is a matter of the heart. It's what we feel. And that ought to make sense too, because is that not where the Spirit lives? Is that not where we are regenerated? So that one of the first signs of regeneration and the working out of regeneration is submission. A recognition of the authority and honor that God gives to every single member of the church by virtue of being filled with Him, the Spirit. You see how that changes things, beloved? I don't have the right or opportunity to look at you merely as an individual. According to your name, first and last, Merely according to where you came from. 
according to your education and background. No, this submission transcends all these things. It recognizes you are filled with the Spirit of God. And now you see why this is the calling of every member. Why there is in the Bible and in the church not simply the calling of a wife to submit to her husband or a child to parents or members to elders. It's not the case that the uneducated must submit to the educated. The poor must submit to the rich. The gifted rule over the ungifted. The young must submit to the old. No. No, in a very real sense. The old must submit to the young. The educated must submit to the uneducated. The rich must submit to the poor. The elders must submit to the members. And the husband must submit to his wife. That's the text. What else belongs to this? Why is it the calling? What else is recognized in the heart other than that simply someone is filled with the Spirit of God? Well, in the first place, submission to one another is a humility, a lowering of self, a humbling of one's person that's driven by this. That not only are you filled with the Spirit of God, but being filled with the Spirit of God, you are a child of God, saved from your sins by grace, just like me. The member of the church doesn't live simply this way. I'm thankful that I'm saved by grace, that I have been adopted as a child of God, but sees everyone else that way too, and therefore submits to them, recognizes that in them. This is 1 Peter 5, who after telling children to submit to their parents says, Yea, all of you be subject one to another. See how apostolic that is? And he adds, be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Notice how those two things are connected. Same thing in Philippians 2 verse 3. The passage that introduces the great mind of Christ that humbled himself. Let nothing, the apostle says, be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem the other better than themselves. So there is a humility and honoring. Humility of what you have is the same as what they have. You have no more or less than they have. If you honor God for the salvation of His grace, you must honor the other in the church the same way. It's also a recognition of what one has when one is filled with the Spirit. Do you realize what someone has when they are filled with the Spirit? Your little children, parents, are filled with the Spirit. Even if they have just a little tiny bit of the Spirit, they have the Spirit. And if they have that Spirit, 
then they have a lot. More than you can count and imagine. Same thing with the wife. Why is the wife or the husband required to submit to his wife in a very real way? What's he recognizing? He's recognizing what she is and what she has. Wisdom. A child of God filled with the Spirit has wisdom. The weakest individual in the church is nevertheless given exceedingly great power. The most uneducated member in the church has knowledge that far surpasses anything that you could learn in the best university. And the most humble, lowly, poor child of God filled with the Spirit has glory and honor, riches beyond imagination. And submission recognizes that. I hope you see by now that submission, mutual submission, is simply an aspect, a basic characteristic of love. It's simply what it means to be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. That's why the Apostle in Romans 12 adds, in honor, preferring one another. Notice in that passage, talking about love, mutual love, he adds, in honor, preferring one another. Notice how this changes everything. Changes even how we look at the next few verses when we get into the submission of a wife to a husband and why the apostle immediately after speaking to the wife turns to the husband and demands that he love her. It's always amazing to me that sometimes about the only time someone recognizes the requirement to submit is when they want others to submit to them. When a husband is demanding that his wife submit, or parents are demanding that their children submit, often the reason why that is, is that parent or their husband is not submitting to their children or to their wife. They're treating their wife like dung. They're not treating their wife like the child of God that she is. The parent is not dealing with that child as spirit-filled, as God's children, but only their own personal property. And then to maintain some sort of Christian outlook has to demand submission. Usually there's something wrong about that. Usually godly husbands and godly parents who give themselves in humility, recognizing the real honor and gifts that the other weaker, the one beneath them actually has, never ever really has to require it or demand it. Amazing thing. And where it's demanded and required of one in a position of authority and power, often, not always, often it's because they're abusing their position of power and authority. Now, what does this look like? How is it manifested? Of course, it's manifested some way. We even recognize that when we confuse submission and obedience. They're not the same. But we are recognizing that submission is in the heart and obedience is one way that it's manifested outwardly. Well, we have to recognize, first of all, that it's not simply 
to overlook the faults and weaknesses of one another, to let sin just go unchecked, sin that is known, sin that could be dealt with, and simply say, well, submission means I don't say anything about it. It's no excuse for open disobedience to God's commandment or to say whatever you want in the church. It's evident from what the Apostle adds in the fear of God. Whatever submission is, and however it looks like, and however it's manifested, it has to be done in the fear of God. Otherwise, it's really not submission. Now, there's a lot of things I could say here, and the Apostle is going to go through, in many ways, what's about to follow is all about this passage. But simply note these. First of all, by a loving care for the well-being of the others. It's what the Heidelberg Catechism calls the communion of the saints. It's what's set forth in the Heidelberg Catechism where when we look at our gifts, even property and money, we never look at it simply for our own use and our own satisfaction, but always with a view to the other. Let's put it this way. There is in the church no place for independent thinking that sets oneself apart from the other members. That says, well, I'm a member of the church and God gave me my stuff and my gifts and I'm going to live in the church separate from everyone else going about and doing my own business. Submission to one another very really takes the form as the passage we read, that one thinks not simply on his own things, as the Apostle puts it elsewhere, but on the things of others. That is, there's a genuine concern about the care and well-being of everyone. That's simply what mutual submission looks like. Follows, doesn't it? Would we say that a child is really submitting to his parents if that child lived in the home simply as its own little god in the home, separate from all the other children, living aloof from the parents without any concern? No, no. And if you're parents and you have children, you will recognize that often rebellion Treating the other children in the family badly or terribly often goes right along with living independently and aloof. That's the sign someone has made themselves a God. There's a care and there's a love. Not simply about earthly, physical things either, but spiritual well-being. A concern that I might offend you by my words, that by my behavior I drive you away. There's a concern that in my words and in my behavior I treat you as somehow inferior to me when in fact you're not. To put it another way, one sign that a church is not spirit-filled and where there is no submission of one to another you will find the member that always thinks he's better than everyone else. He knows more theology than everyone else. He's more saved than everyone else. He behaves better than everyone else. 
And he treats everyone else that way. That left unchecked will destroy a body just like that left unchecked in a home will destroy the home. That person isn't interested in perhaps what really is considerable theological knowledge and understanding and wisdom and all kinds of things for your sake and other members' sake. He just wants you to know it. Or, if he would use it for the supposed benefit of others, if you look closely, you'll discover it's only to serve himself, to gain honor and glory unto himself, a following. Mutual submission, submission to one another, also manifests itself by a willingness to give up my rights for your benefit. This is addressed often in Scripture, especially when the Apostle is dealing with the matter of Christian liberty. I have certain rights in the church of Jesus Christ. I've been freed. I have liberty. I have the right to use the good things of this creation if they be received with thanksgiving. And then there's others, weak Christians, who cannot tolerate that. And often, if you discover or look, you will find out it's not because they actually have real scruples, real principal matters of conscience, but it's because they think they're better. Again, it's because they think their way is the holier way of life and yours is less holy. But be that as it may, and maybe that even is the case, but you don't know for sure, Submission to one another says, I'm willing to set this aside lest it offend you. And by offense, we mean not simply that someone is turned off or turned away, but they would actually stumble and fall and commit a sin against their own conscience. Submission to you and to me, me to you, always manifests itself in that. I may have the right before God and the right before men to have this or to do that. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to in recognition of who you are and what you are. And realize again, where you don't find that, often it's because someone takes a superior attitude. I'm not going to give this up to you because, while well, you're just a weak Christian, if a Christian at all. Isn't that the case always where this is not found in the church? Isn't this always the excuse to trample over people's rights? To dishonor rather than honor? To destroy rather than build up in the church? Isn't that always the root, root issue? That I think, in fact, you are not spirit-filled. That's why often where someone is running roughshod over everyone else, lording it over others in the church, commanding and demanding, everything that Jesus found abhorrent, always the first excuse, the first reason given is, well, you're not really a Christian. You're not really filled with the Spirit. Or if you say you are, well, I'll receive that, but I'm not going to treat you that way. Because that's what we're doing. If we treat someone that way, 
if we lord it over others, if we lift ourselves up as members or as a church, don't forget he's talking to the church, my, how much better we are than all you other Christians out there. That's pride. And it's rooted in the fact that while they couldn't possibly be filled with the Spirit, they don't have the knowledge we have. They don't have the understanding we have. No. Even there, there's a submission. And when we run around imagining that everybody is an unbeliever and usually we have a little sin that we can point to, a little error, a little this, a little that. We magnify it and pretty soon we've exercised them from the king, excised them from the kingdom of heaven. And that gives us an excuse to do whatever we want. That is what the apostle is condemning even when he calls us to submit to one another. What's the motivation for this? The apostle is giving that when he adds those simple words in the fear of God. In the fear of God. Other translations have in the fear of Christ. In the end, it really doesn't matter because God is Christ. And to fear God is to fear Christ. Now that's not the only motivation. It's the chief one. And in fact, if you look at other motivations you will find that they all go back to the fear of God. But the fact of the matter is that where there is a refusal to submit to one another, and let's remember, the worst failure to submit is not really the wife of a husband or the child of a parent. That's bad enough. That's an indicator of something that cannot go untolerated or tolerated in the church, it has to be dealt with. Nevertheless, the worst is when we don't submit to one another. When a wife doesn't submit to her husband, it will destroy a home and a family. When a child does not submit to his parents, he will destroy a home and a family. But when we will not submit to one another, we destroy the church. Where this is going on, there will be schism. There will be members who leave disillusioned with the church. That's easy to have happen and to justify. But at bottom, any of that behavior is failure, utter failure to truly to submit to one another. But you recognize that's really an attack upon the church, which is the body of Christ. See how you're back to the fear of God and Christ again? And I want to be careful here, because fear here is not the fear of terror. It's the fear of love. But it's not just love. There's a reason why the Bible uses that term. And it has in mind this. God loves us. Don't ever doubt that. And exactly because He loves us, He is not going to tolerate not submitting to one another. He can't. It's His Spirit. It's the Spirit He gives to His church. And we ought to fear that. We ought to live 
our life, not simply saying God loves us, but exactly because He loves us, He will deal with pride, self-centeredness, selfishness, living alone and aloof in the church without a care and concern for all the other members, maybe just a few, rather harshly. He will split churches, divide churches. Of course, that's the judgment for that sin, isn't it? See how it fits? And when that happens and where that happens, and it has happened in our midst, then this is the first thing we ought to look at. Do we truly submit to one another? Not just here at Trinity. And don't say, oh yeah. Oh yeah, we do. Let's remember... This is a spirit work, spirit-filled work. It is impossible by man. And we like to present a lot of things that are anything but submission to one another. But ask ourselves, do I really submit to you? We've got to ask that as elders. When elders go on their work, they need to ask the question, am I submitting to these families I visit? And the teacher, the teacher who rules in the classroom without submitting to those children needs to be removed from the classroom. The husband who does not submit to his wife, a queen under God, is not worthy of being called a husband. And the denomination that lives its life without submitting to the Spirit filled members of Christ that are outside of its walls has no right to be in existence. The motive, beloved, is God. Who God is. What God is. And how jealous He is for His church. Which He gives the gift of submission to because we must submit to him. But that means then also we cannot submit to him unless we also submit to one another. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, forgive our rebellion, our self-centeredness, our pride that is manifest in so many ways and that is at the core of who we are by nature Lord, fill us with thy Spirit, so that we are a church that indeed speaks to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that sings and makes melody in our heart to the Lord that gives thanks always for all things unto thee, the Father, and also submits. Submits one to another. In the fear of thy name, so grant, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.